Welcome to week 84 of Alive and Free. We were gonna end this series last week, and then we realized we're two weeks away from baptism weekend, and that's the epitome of living alive and free. So that's gonna be the grand finale of this whole thing. In the meantime, Doug and I have two words that we wanna share with you. Do not miss next week. Doug's word is going to be timely for us as a church. Today, though, we are talking uh, about something that the enemy will use to steal life from you. Remember our key verse, John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And for the last 83 weeks, we've been talking about things the enemy uses to kill and destroy, like comparison kills, distraction destroys us, it's very on the nose. Today, I wanna talk about one that's a little more subtle. Like you think about that word steal, that means when the enemy takes from you without you knowing it. I wanna talk about a topic that some of you may not have realized the enemy has been using for decades to steal from you. Today we're talking about perfectionism. Now, this topic is, is a, a broad topic that's going to hit everybody different. And so what I wanna do today is just make one big statement one big truth, and then we'll spend the rest of today unpacking the, the nuance of perfectionism. And so if you get nothing else today, get this. The big idea is this. Expecting perfect in an imperfect world is a recipe for endless frustration. We live in an imperfect world. Expecting perfect in the middle of it will lead to endless frustration. Anybody ever feel like the world is expecting perfect from you? Uh, like they're, they're putting this pressure on you that you have to say everything right and do everything right. And if you step out of line for one second, they're gonna tell the whole world about it. It's like the world is shouting at you, just be perfect. That is worse than that. If you're anything like me, you're your own worst critic. And so you actually expect perfection on yourself and you don't go to bed at night thinking about the 99 good things that you said. You think about the one awkward thing that you said and it keeps you up at night because you're telling yourself, Ryan, just be perfect perfect and then we get to church and, and we open up the, the Bible and hopefully Jesus has some, some words of encouragement for all of our, uh, the perfectionists in the room and we get to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says this, be, be perfect, oh no, be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. Today I wanna to talk about the context of this verse. We're gonna get back to it by the end and I promise you it's really, really good news. So I'm gonna preach a sermon called Just Be Perfect. Turn to your neighbor and say, just be perfect. Just be perfect. That's the solution. You guys can take a seat. Thank you all for being here today. We're gonna to have some fun. I wanna start with a little game called How Big of a Perfectionist Are You? How much of a perfectionist are you? The original title of this game was, Are You a Perfectionist? And then through lots of, of talking to people and research and just being honest with myself, I've realized that we're all perfectionists at some level. And so the better question is, how much of a perfectionist are you? I'm gonna give you three scenarios, hypothetical scenarios. And, and for each one, I want you to give yourself a, a grade from one to 10. One being not a perfectionist at all, 10 being I should probably listen to this sermon like five times this week, all right? So, hypothetical situation number one is this. You are walking to work or to school and you come across this. Now, 
That's a maintenance cover. Whoever painted those lines is a perfectionist. Whoever was the last person to use the maintenance cover and put it back is obviously not a perfectionist because they just decided, you know what? It's good enough. You're walking to work and you see that. Now on a scale of one to 10, how much does that bother you? 10 being, I'm stopping immediately to fix it. And I don't care how heavy it is. I'll call as many friends as I need to to call uh, over here. This just cannot be so. We are fixing this right now. All the way down to a five where you're just like shaking your head going, I can't believe somebody would do that but I don't have time for this, I gotta get to work, I'm gonna keep walking. And then if you're a one, you're thinking, wait, what's the problem? I don't see, I don't see anything wrong with that. You got your number? All right, hold on to that number. Now, scenario number two, you send a text message to a good friend, okay? So not to like your boss or someone you're trying to impress, you send this text message to a, a good friend and it says this, do you know what time You're coming to our house. Now, two glaring issues with this. First, it's not your, it's you are. Second, and more important, it's not our house, it's our house, right? Now, on a scale of one to 10, give yourself a number grade. 10 being, you edit it immediately. How many are thankful that you can now edit text messages? My goodness. I wish it didn't say edited under there, but whatever. Can't be perfect. You edit it immediately and you follow it up with an explanation. Hey, sorry, the kids were crazy. Don't judge me on what I just said, right? A five on this scale is like, you just, you just decide later to make a joke about it. You know that thing we do where you get there and you're like, how, about, how crazy was that text message? That was so bad, but you're making a joke, but honestly, you're just letting them know that, that you know that you messed up. And if you're number one, again, you're saying, what's the problem with that, that text? I don't, I don't see an issue with it. All right, now, last but not least, here's your third and final test. How long did it take you to notice these graphics are off-center? There were some uh, graphic designers here yesterday that were just losing it last night. Okay, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being I noticed immediately and I am fuming. Five being, Ryan, I see what you did there, well played all the way down to a one, which is, again, I don't see the problem. By the way, you don't want to score too low on this test. Like, tens probably aren't where you want to be, but also ones and twos aren't where you want to be. Now, take those three numbers, add them up, divide by three, and that is your very unofficial number. By the way, I'm not a cognitive psychologist. I'm a pastor. This is a silly test. I don't know what I'm, what I'm talking about. I'm just trying to get us thinking about perfectionism because it's something we all do. And if I'm being honest, this is the low-hanging fruit. Like maybe you score low on this test, but if one of your peers or friends has a problem with you at all, you can't sleep until you resolve it. And it's like your perfectionism comes out as people pleasing. Or maybe for you it's work and you put so much of your identity in the things that you accomplish that if one of your coworkers steps out of line, you wanna like pick up a chair and throw it across the room. It's perfectionism, right? Or like maybe for you it's how you look or sports or whatever it is, the point is we all have a little bit of perfectionism and expecting perfect in an imperfect world is a recipe for endless frustration. Now, I wanna start here. I wanna start the sermon by giving a shout out to all of the perfectionists in the room. Perfectionists, you make this world a better place because what you are doing is you are pursuing excellence 
And the pursuit of excellence is not a bad thing, it's a biblical thing. If you go read the, the book of Daniel, he's a, a classic example of someone who pursued excellence. Daniel lived as an exile in Babylon, which means he was surrounded by a, a culture that had a very different value system than he did. And he had to figure out how to have influence in that culture without how to live in the world without becoming of the world. If you live, if you work in a work environment similar to that, your, your homework this week is to read the book uh, of Daniel because we see how he did it. Daniel chapter six, verse three. Now Daniel, get this, so distinguished himself, so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. David had uh, influence and favor in the land. How? Because he so distinguished himself by pursuing excellence. He set himself apart with his exceptional qualities. It's funny, I feel like today we wanna pray for favor without putting in the work to, to that, that you need to, to stand out in the field that you're in. And it's like, it requires both. You gotta have both. Daniel is this great example of someone who pursued Excellence. Did you know you're on this planet to pursue excellence? It's a good thing. Paul says it this way, Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Pursue excellence, man. In his letter to the church in Ephesus, he says this, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. My point is pursuing excellence is a holy endeavor. It's just that the enemy is going to try to find his way in to that holy endeavor and convince you that, that you can have perfect, and if you don't have perfect, you should be frustrated by it. And again, expecting perfect in an imperfect world is a recipe for endless frustration. I'll say it like this. Pursuing excellence is a holy endeavor. Expecting perfection is silly. Now, miss the, the, the front half of that equation and you'll never hone your craft. Miss the, the second half of that equation and you'll just be endlessly frustrated. But understand both sides of, of that coin and you can learn to live alive and free. So shout out to the perfectionist. Thank you for pursuing excellence. Now let's talk about uh, how we tend to let that excellence turn into perfectionism. Uh, easy way to, to uh, organize perfectionism in our mind. Psychologists tell us there's three different types of perfectionism. See if you resonate with any of these. The, the, the first type is this, a self-oriented perfectionism which is where you put that standard of perfection on you. So you get the, the test back uh, when you were in school and it's a 99%, which is the world telling you, you're good, you got it, you got an A, it's all good, but you can't celebrate those 99 correct answers because you just immediately go to the one you got wrong. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I know that I got that right, my professor is wrong, I'm gonna go argue this until it's 100%. Self-oriented perfectionists um, tend to be very, very good at what they do. They also tend to get stressed out very easily. Um, I, I've, I know a lot of self-oriented perfectionists, and I've noticed over the years that they're usually really good at giving grace to other people. 
It's like they have all the grace in the world for everybody else on this planet, but they can't extend that same grace to one person themselves. Now, the, the, the second type of perfectionism is socially prescribed perfectionism. And that is where you feel like the world is putting this weight on your shoulders. It's like the spotlight effect. You feel like everywhere you go, there's a spotlight and everybody's watching and everybody wants you to be perfect. People in this category tend to, to make fun of themselves a lot and use a lot of self-deprecating humor. And it, it's because they, even though they might be good in their field or whatever, they feel like they're supposed to be perfect and they know they're not perfect, so they might as well just make fun of themselves the entire time because they know they can never live up to the standard they think the rest of the world is putting on their shoulders. And then the third one is this other-oriented perfectionism where you actually project that perfectionism onto other people, where you expect other people to be perfect. If you have a hard time holding on to friendships for longer than a few months, it may be because you're putting an expectation on them that nobody could ever hit. Uh, if you end up at a different church every month, it may be because you're looking for the perfect church. I'll just save you some time. You didn't find it here. We're a bunch of imperfect people pursuing a perfect God together. We will let you down at, at some point because we're imperfect, because everybody's imperfect, because that's the whole point. Right, uh, But if you fall into this third category, you hear Jesus say things like, don't look at the speck in your neighbor's eye while you have a plank in your own. And it almost feels hyperbolic to you because it's so hard for you not to judge the world. But again, expecting perfect in an imperfect world is a recipe for endless frustration. So the next question is, well, okay, great. Well, where does this perfectionism come from? I would argue it starts on page one of the Bible. You go all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2, and what you get is Adam and Eve living in perfect harmony with each other, with their creator, with creation. Everything is good. Back in 2020, we had an idea for a project called Echoes of Eden that turned into a sermon series and then a, a, a book, and the idea was that we are still echoes of the way it was supposed to be back in the garden. So there's a reason why you want to be an advocate for the Imago Dei. There's a reason why you want to stand up for other people and go, that is a human being made in the image of God. It's because God created us in his image and he told us to rule and you are still an echo of that Eden. There's a reason why you want to be in community. Why you know you're not supposed to be alone. There's a reason why, why there's part of you that, that longs to be married, uh, that, that, that wants to be with somebody. It's because back in the garden, God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. We're created for community. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and wife, father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. It's an echo of Eden. Now, to the perfectionists, why do we expect perfect in the world? If I can reframe your perfectionism for you this week. It's an echo of Eden. It's you understanding that the world was never supposed to be this way. Why do you think the world's supposed to be more perfect than it is? Because the world was supposed to be more perfect than it is. And we will reach a day in the future where things will be put back together. It's just that right now we live in an imperfect world. Pick up the story in Genesis 6. I'm sorry, Genesis 3 and verse 6. Here's what happened. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And get this, he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. We became aware of all of the imperfection, and and our uh, reaction to that was to try to hide and try to cover up our imperfections. And I would argue ever since we've been doing the same thing, We just have way more elaborate hiding spots and fig leaves that we sew together to to try to push down our imperfections. Like if I just have the perfect post, if I just have the the, the perfect family picture, if I just have the perfect job, if I just have the perfect relationship, if I just have the perfect car, whatever it is for you, if I just get that perfect thing, I can cover up all the imperfections. Except that you can't ever cover up all the imperfections any more than you can sweep an argument with a loved one under the rug and expect it to go away. We all know eventually it's gonna, it's gonna come out in, in different ways and that's why expecting perfect and trying to project perfect in an imperfect world is a recipe for endless frustration. So I wanna talk about you for just the, the last few minutes that we have here. I, I wanna give you three ways that I feel like the enemy uses perfectionism to try to steal from you. The first one is this. Perfectionism steals your presence. You ever have a, a big event that you've been working towards? Uh, a wedding, a family reunion, a vacation, whatever it is, and you want that event to be perfect? And then you show up that night and the whole time you're just thinking, I am so badly want this event to be perfect that you spend the entire night making sure that nothing goes wrong and trying to keep everybody happy and running over here and putting out that fire there and that fire over there and you get to the end of the night realizing, hey, I had, like, I in no way was present during this entire thing because I was just trying to make it perfect. This is what perfectionism does. It, it hinders our ability to just be present with the people in our lives. It's a beautiful but haunting example of this in Luke chapter 10, a story about Jesus' interaction with two sisters, Mary and Martha. Maybe you've heard it before. Pick up the story in Luke 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. This is Jesus, Messiah, Savior of the world, coming over for dinner to Mary and Martha's house. This is a big deal. Like, if you're in Mary and Martha's shoes, you're thinking, we gotta make this perfect. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Let's pause there for a second. You can picture it, can't you? Two sisters, two very different personalities. Martha is going, Jesus is coming over. We gotta make this perfect. Let's make sure we clean up over here. Let's make sure we get drinks filled over here. Let's make sure the, the, the food is warm enough here. Meanwhile, Mary is just hanging out, sitting at Jesus' feet, doing nothing. Except listening to, to Jesus and learning from Jesus and, and being content, just being in the presence of Jesus. Now, before we go any further in the story, let me start by giving another shout out. The shout out's for all the Marthas in, in the room, for all the Marthas listening on 
line, hey, like, I, I feel like this story gets hijacked sometimes toward, towards, like, laziness. And it's like, well, no, I'm sorry, I didn't do the dishes. I'm just trying to be a Mary instead of a Martha, you know? And it's like, that's not, that's not what the story is about. But, like, to the Marthas in the room, like, hospitality is a gift of the Spirit. Uh, like, like, hospitality is an amazing thing. I, uh, I was a missions pastor years ago, and there was a guy who was retired and was just like a servant leader. He was that guy who um, was always thinking about other people, and whatever needed to be done, he was there. So he was like my right-hand guy, and we developed this cool friendship, and I'm in his backyard one night, and uh, he, he goes, you know what story I never liked? That Mary and Martha one. And he said this, he goes, because I'm Martha. And he goes, there's a reason why I'm Martha. I'm Martha because there's so many Marys. If there weren't so many Marys in the world, I wouldn't have to be such a Martha, right? And we have a good laugh about it because it's a great point. He's right. Hospitality is an amazing thing. Um, serving is an amazing thing. There's also a shadow side to it as well, though. And Martha's uh, about to reveal that shadow side to us. She came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care? I mean, come on, when, when, when serving other people becomes everything that, that, that you do, it's so easy to fall into this trap where you start judging all the, the other people, thinking like, I wish that they would just see what I'm doing and go and, and do likewise. And by the way, saying that to Jesus is just so ironic. Jesus, don't you care? Oh, you mean the one who stepped out of his perfect place in heaven and stepped into an imperfect world in order to perfect a bunch of imperfect people? The, the one who laid down his life in the ultimate sacrifice? Hey, all Jesus has ever done is cared. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things but few things are needed. Or indeed only one Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. See, Martha wanted perfect. Mary was content with present. And when it comes to perfectionism, the enemy is always going to try to use it to steal away our presence, to, to make us not present in the moment because we're too worried about keeping everything perfect. And here's the great irony of this story. They're with Jesus. They're with the image of the invisible God. They're with perfection. She's worried about running out of wine in the presence of the one who turned water into wine. She's worried about running out of food in the presence of the one who fed 5,000 with a few loaves of bread. And so, so I, what we have to get as a church is that the perfection, the the, the Standard for perfection was actually never on our shoulders. It has always only ever been on Jesus' shoulders to carry that weight for us. And when we allow Jesus to be our perfection, we can learn how to be present in the moment. More on that in a couple of minutes. Let's keep moving. Perfectionism also steals our progress. You ever uh, decide it's time to get healthy, time to get into shape, and so you start waking up early to work out, and you, you take all the bad food out of your pantry, and you replace it with good food, and you're doing great for a week. But then week two rolls around, and you got a little cold, so you think, you know what? I should probably sleep in. No big deal. It's one day. 
But then the problem is later that afternoon, you go, oh, you know, it's kind of a cheat day, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna have some cakes, some cupcakes, maybe I'll pick up some donuts on the way home. Then the next day you wake up and you go, well, I didn't work out yesterday, so I don't have to work out today. And then before you know it, the entire week, you're like right back to the way that you used to live. Yeah, perfectionism takes molehills and turns them into mountains. That one day where you're sleeping in, no big deal. Uh, unless you fall into the trap of perfectionism and feel like you ruined everything because you missed one morning and before you know it, you're just completely off the rails once again. Uh, like, I, I wonder how many um, people have a job opportunity come up and you go, oh, it's good and it would be a great step towards where I wanna go and maybe it's more money and a good opportunity, but ah, it's, not, it's not really the perfect job. It's not what I wanna do, so I'm, I'm not gonna take it. And then you don't take the next one, and you don't take the next one, and then you don't take the next one, and then you, you blame the election or the economy or whatever it is. You just sit back going, like, I, I was waiting for the perfect job, and it never came. The problem is the perfect job doesn't exist. But, but there are lots of opportunities out there that will help you make progress in your career path. And so sometimes perfectionism steals our progress. Think about how many relationships never start because two people were passively waiting for perfect instead of proactively pursuing compatible. Perfectionism crushes our progress. How many of you at work have a, a project you've been working on that if you're being real was done two weeks ago? But you can't stop tweaking it a little bit here and getting it a little bit better there and you gotta, like your perfectionism kicks in, right? There's a, a pastor named Craig Groeschel who we learn a lot from and love and um, he has an acronym called GETMO. GETMO stands for good enough to move on. And he charts it on a graph. He says it's like this. At first, when you put more resources like time and money and energy into a product, it increases the quality significantly. But eventually, that return on investment starts to go down and then it starts to, to flatline. And for the perfectionists in the room, what we do is we, we stay putting more uh, resources into it even though it's not really getting any better. And so what he's learned to do is he's learned to identify when something is good enough to move on. He gets it to that point and then he goes, God's got a lot more mountains for us to take and so we're gonna ship that one off and we're gonna move on and take the next hill. Practical, perfectionism will steal your progress. So some of, you, some of you need to make that your, your screensaver at, at work this week. Good enough to move on. Now I have about five more minutes of content uh, about why perfectionism steals our progress. Doug and I were laughing this morning. He goes, hey, the return on investment for that last five minutes isn't great. The point's good enough to move on. Why don't you practice what you preach? So I'm gonna practice what I preach. Here we go, point number three. <laughs> perfectionism steals our peace. This sermon started formulating in my mind six weeks ago. Um, I, I love my morning routine, and uh, I always want it to be perfect. Spoiler alert. Uh, I wake up six weeks ago, have a great time with God. I open up God's word and just a, a rich time with the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. And then I go out for my morning run, and my goal is to, to get back to my house by the time the sun is rising in the eastern sky, because there's a spot by my house where there's this like plain, and I can look out, and I can see the eastern horizon perfectly, and I think if I time this perfectly, then, then I'll get back, and the sun will be just coming up, and I can watch the, the sunrise from over there, and it'll be this amazing time where I'll have this like experience with God, or whatever it is, and so I go out for my run, and I'm run, run, running, I'm run, run, running, 
And uh, I turn the corner. It's great this time of year, by the way, because that's like 7.15 that the sun's coming up. You know, it's so much easier to, to hit the sunrise. Um, I turn the corner just as the sun is rising. And it's this beautiful, epic, perfect moment is how I would describe it if I was just telling a story. Here's the reality. It's this beautiful, perfect, epic moment. And then there's construction going on right by my house. So there's not one, not two, but three giant cement trucks that all turn in at the same time. Like, er, 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 and guys yelling like, where's the work site? Where are we supposed to be going? And then there's two cars coming out of my neighborhood trying to get to their meetings or drop their kids off at school. And it's like all five vehicles forgot how to drive simultaneously. So nobody's yielding to anybody. And they're all trying to get to where they're trying to go. And meanwhile, I'm just standing right in the middle trying to watch the sunrise. My neighbor is on the phone. It's seven in the morning. She's on her phone. I'm not eavesdropping. She's just talking very, very loud, like about this loud, telling her friend about another friend who didn't invite her to a party and how she feels about it. And I'm like, good grief, it's seven in the morning, right? Like I'm just trying to have a little bit of quiet and watch the sunrise. I stomp back to my house like, ah, morning ruin. Because expecting perfect in an imperfect world is a recipe for endless frustration. Here's the truth about that morning. I woke up and got to hang out with the creator of the universe. I got to open this book and, 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 and hang out with God. Listen to what the Holy Spirit has for me for the day. And then I, I got to get up and my body is healthy enough that I got to go run through, through uh, Austin, beautiful city before it got too hot, right? And, and hang out and, and just have this, this great, run as I'm this singing running in my mind and all of this is taking place as we're on this giant ball we call earth that's soaring through space at like a thousand miles per hour and it's rotating at just the right speed so that it looks like the sun is rising in the eastern sky every single morning it's a beautiful perfect moment it's just that I forgot that there's also going to be like cement trucks of course there's going to be of course, there's, there's always going to be imperfections. There's always going to be times where the Wi-Fi is a little slow. There's always going to be times where you spill the coffee. There's always going to be times where there's traffic when you really don't need traffic. There's always going to be imperfections to this life. And expecting perfect in an imperfect world is a recipe for endless frustration. Peace is actually possible. You just have to shake hands with the imperfections of, of our existence. You get there, all of a sudden watching that sunrise can still be amazing and you can laugh about the cement trucks as they go by. If you're anything like me though, that, that peace is hardest because I'm my own worst critic. Because I still am under the illusion that I was supposed to get it perfect. And so if I'm not perfect, then I shouldn't be present and I shouldn't be making progress and I shouldn't have peace. And then I was reading Romans 3 this week and Paul says this in Romans 3, verse 23. He says, for all, if you write in your Bibles, underline that word all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you know that? We put this unrealistic expectation of perfection on ourselves when the reality is, is none of us are perfect. We all fall short, but that brings us back to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, where he goes, but, but be perfect, 
Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So what's the deal? Is the Bible contradicting itself? Jesus telling us to be perfect, Paul telling us that none of us are perfect? Or is the Bible inviting us into the infinite mystery of the gospel? Where Jesus is laying out two options for us. Option A, bat a thousand. Get it all perfect. Including if you read that verse in context, saying things like, uh, pray for your enemies, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. How are we doing with that one this week? Like it's an impossible standard that, that, that this bar of perfection is this impossible bar that's impossible to hit. Option A is that. Option B is to realize that we can never save ourselves to begin with. And so we're not gonna rely on ourselves to be perfection. We're gonna rely on a perfect savior to be our perfection. We're gonna rely on the one who did bat a thousand and go, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm with Jesus. I'm, I'm putting Jesus on the throne of my heart. The writer of Hebrews says it so brilliantly. Hebrews 10, verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect. Memorize this verse this week. For by one sacrifice, what Jesus did on the cross, he has made perfect forever. Perfect forever. Realizing as I'm preaching this this weekend that perfect forever probably would have been a more perfect title for this message, but it's a sermon about imperfection, so who cares? Perfect forever those who are being made holy. Did you catch it? Two sides to the same coin. You're covered, you're perfect forever, and you're a work in progress. God looks at you and he goes, perfect, holy. And then he goes, now get up tomorrow morning and do your best to live more like Jesus become more like Jesus. The first mistake we make is not realizing that perfection comes from Jesus. The second mistake we make is thinking, well, I'm, so just, I'm just fully covered so I can do whatever I want. And Jesus is going, no, no, you've already been made perfect. Now strive to be perfect. Perfectionist in the room. This is the secret to, to letting go and loosening that, that, that grip that perfectionism has on us, realizing, hey, I was never gonna be able to get there anyways. This all sank in for me 15 years ago. Um, I'll end here. I was, uh, uh, got to lead mission trips in Costa Rica for a summer and it was the year that I got saved. And so I like had no right leading these trips and had no idea what I was talking about and was still like had so much shame for my past and things that if I'm being honest, I was just trying to atone for and make up for. And, and so I get out there and I start leading these trips and. There's this week where we, uh, we're, we're in this beautiful slum called the Cuenca, and the Cuenca is a spot where you have to park your car up top and then wind through these back alleys to get all the way down to the bottom where we were doing this construction work. And, and we spent the morning working down there, and then around lunchtime we were out of supplies, and so me and, and my friend Lyndon um, decided to walk back up to the van to get more stuff. And so we're winding back through these back alleys, and there's nobody around. We turn a corner, and at the end of the next alleyway, there's a man named Jorge. Now, Jorge is an intimidating guy. He's about 6'4", tattoos everywhere, really stern face, and he starts walking straight towards us. Nobody else around. So it's one of those moments where you, like, get laser-focused, you know, and, and take a breath and trying to figure out what's about to happen. And we walk up, and Jorge approaches us, and he goes, I want to follow Jesus. Now, I'm brand new to all this, so I'm thinking evangelism is easy. Like, this is so, this is, he just put the ball on a tee and handed me the driver, you know, like, let's go. Like, great. 
And he goes, no, you don't understand. I wanna follow Jesus, but I can't. And then he goes into his story, heartbreaking story about a lot of things that happened to him from a young age, some in his control, most not in his control, that led to a drug addiction. And then he started talking about how everything he's done since has been to fuel this addiction that he has, including stealing and doing a lot of things that he's not proud of. And so he goes, so you see now, I wanna follow Jesus, but I can't. I freeze, I don't know, I'm 18. You know, like, I'm like, uh. Lyndon comes alive right next to me and he goes, he starts talking to Jorge and he's telling him all these, these good things. But he says one thing that I've never forgotten all these years later. He goes, hey, um, a lot of people think that it's their job to clean themselves up first and then come to Jesus. Like it's your job to, to hit perfection. And then once you hit perfection, then you, you can be with Jesus, that Jesus wants the perfect version of you. Did you know that Jesus just says, just come, just come on with all of it, with all of it, just bring it to me, come on. I'm not in love with a future version, better version of you, I'm in love with you, so just come on. Let me take that, let me be your perfection, and then from there, we'll start working through all that stuff together. And I look up and Jorge is crying, stern face, like it's so at ease now, and he goes, nobody's ever told me that before. So we have this great ministry moment, it's a sacred moment. Here's the truth about what's happening in that moment, is it started with Lyndon and I talking to Jorge, and it shifted to Lyndon talking to Jorge and me. Because I'm also sitting there going like, wait, really? Like, I'm good? I can just, I just be with Jesus? Because like, I knew that. I'd heard that before, but sometimes the distance between the head and the heart is a long way. Sometimes it's a lifelong process of allowing the amazing grace of, of Jesus to sink down into our heart and become a part of who I am. We're walking back to the, the work site and I go, Linda, so I'm like good? He's like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, because the gospel, so like I'm, I can just come to Jesus right now. And he's like, yeah, that's like the whole point. And I'm like, this is such good news, dude. And he's like, yeah, I know. And then I go, we should tell everyone about this. And he's like, yeah, I know, that's what we're doing, <laughs> you know? I go, yeah, I'm supposed to be in charge over here. Cool. And um, we have a worship night that night, which is just, I think, like 50 people in a back room with an acoustic guitar not plugged in, and whoever the least worst singer is trying to lead us. And uh, we start singing Amazing Grace. And man, I sit there and I'm thinking through the day, I'm thinking about Jorge, I'm thinking about that whole experience. I just start weeping, start crying, because it's like I'm realizing once again, oh, I'm. I actually don't have to be perfect to be loved. I actually have permission to be a little messy. I actually have permission to be an imperfect person pursuing a perfect God. And it's like I understood the gospel. Or if the gospel was like an elevator in my heart, it's like the, the elevator went down another level. And, and I started to understand it in a whole new way. And so just to end, we're gonna have the band sing Amazing Grace for us. And... Um, my prayer in this space is that wherever this sermon finds you, um, if, if you for the very first time need to go, hey, I'm so done trying to be my own standard of perfection, I can't do it. I need to get off the throne in my heart. I need to put Jesus on the throne in my heart. Make him my Lord and Savior. I'm gonna give you a chance to do that in just a second. But then for others, maybe you've heard it 10 times, maybe you've heard it 100 times, maybe you've heard it for 40 years. 
But if you want a fresh revelation of just how amazing this grace really is, I wanna pray a prayer that the Holy Spirit would give that to you in this time. And so I wanna get out of the way and just let God do what God does best. In this time, you can remain seated, you can kneel, you can stand, however you want to worship, but let's pray. Father, we love you so much. Thank you that you are our perfection. You are the perfection that we could never be. And so, Lord, first for the one in this room or the one watching online, the lady at God behind bars who is going, hey, uh, I need to stop trying to save myself. (laughs) I've tried that. It doesn't work. I keep falling short. I'm ready to be done with perfectionism and let God be my perfection for me. If you're ready to put Jesus, the center of your life, just boldly put your hand up in the air. And and as you do, just call out, say, Jesus, I love you done doing this my way, make you the Lord of my life. For others of you, if you're here going, man, I I get this grace, like I get it on paper, but I wanna experience it. I need to know it. I need to know at a deeper level that it's not on me to be perfect. Would you just boldly put your hand up in the air? I wanna pray a, a prayer of blessing over you. Father, you see every hand as we sing about your amazing grace. Lord, with this truth, of just how amazing this grace is, sink a little deeper. Lord, would it be a reminder that it was never on us to be perfect, that you have made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So we ask, Lord, that that truth would would speak louder than any lie, would speak louder than any fear, and would begin to loosen the grip of perfectionism that we have on our lives. In Jesus' name.